Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Well, this is our study of the book of Revelation, session 51, which is entitled Intro to the Trumpets. And if the trumpets, if that's not a term you're real familiar with, uh, there are seven trumpet judgments that are listed in the book of Revelation. And while tonight's session is entitled Intro to the Seven Trumpets or to the Trumpets, it's not really an intro in the purest sense because we've been talking about the trumpets a little bit here and there uh, for quite some time now. We did a session on Intro to the Final Judgment series in the book of Revelation, the seals, trumpets, and bowls. And so tonight we're going to look at kind of the broad strokes of these trumpets uh, so that in future weeks as we study them a little bit more closely, uh, we'll have already covered kind of some basics. But uh, this is an important subject for us to understand. I'll I'll give you one point that I think is a, a helpful kind of starter. There are some that when they look at the book of Revelation... Uh, if you don't give a lot of attention to it, um, there are some that would say all the judgments are the same. It's just the same uh, judgments being told three different ways. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. It's all the same events just being told three different times. That that is not what's happening. Um, These trumpets are unique from the seals, and they're unique from the bowls of wrath, which we'll study sometime later in this series. These are intense. This storyline is really starting to pick up here as we uh, look at the the seven trumpets. So tonight what I want to do is I want to give us just a little bit of backstory on how the Lord was already whispering in the Word of God about the end time trumpets in uh, a few passages and occasions in the Old Testament history. And what we're going to see is that these Old Testament passages or stories and scenarios were actually actually shadows of what is going to come in the end times. And so I want us to kind of see that uh, just a little bit, that these accounts in the Old Testament actually attest to the future uh, kingdom victories that we're going to see uh, related to these trumpet judgments released. And so uh, looking here at Jericho, Now, you probably know this, or or if you don't, maybe just a little reminder. We've got here in this passage in uh, Joshua uh, 6, the now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites, and no one went out and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. So what I want us to look at in this passage is we're going to see the seven trumpets here in a second. These seven trumpets are speaking of deliverance. These seven trumpets are speaking of transition, uh, uh, of the, the, the assurance of victory. Look at this. I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets. So how many trumpets would that be? Seven of ram's horns, horns in front of the ark. And then on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. That's seven trumpets being blown. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. So here in this passage, 
We've got God anointing the storyline of seven trumpets bringing about the victory, bringing about uh, a deliverance of an opposing kingdom, bringing about uh, the, the falling down, the supernatural collapse of the walls that had so protected that system, that had so protected. This is, by the way, if you don't know this, Jericho was the entry point into the promised land. So this is kind of like you can't get into the inheritance of Israel uh, coming from the direction they were unless you cross through Jericho. you got to pass the land of Jericho. And so Jericho represented the entry point into the promised land uh, for, for the Israelites. It, 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 it uh, embodied the, the gate into their inheritance, if you will. And so these seven trumpets bring down that wall and allow Israel to begin to inherit their land. It's a pretty powerful story. Second one. I like this one even better. This is during the time of King David. Now, if you know the story of King David a little bit, you know he had a few whoopsies. Well, one of his giant whoopsies was actually related to how he wanted to get the house of prayer started in Israel. He was zealous, but he wasn't following proper protocol. He wasn't operating according to the Lord's purposes and pattern. And so in the first attempt to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, in his first attempt to do that, he was not careful. And it actually wound up with some guys dying, and they weren't able to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And it was a, it was a real like moment of scandal within David's kingdom because David was seen as this like pious king. The Lord is with him. And then this terrible thing happens. Well, after David had kind of suffered through that very uh, you know, embarrassing difficulty, his zeal for the house of prayer never left. And he made a second run at it. But this time, it's interesting to watch that he got seven of his main guys, each equipped with a trumpet. And they were going to blow these trumpets in the most... Uh, obvious way. I'm just going to give this to you here. This is First uh, Chronicles 15, page 2. I gave you the names of the seven priests. These seven priests were to blow trumpets before the ark of God. Obed-Edom and Jehiah were also to be doorkeepers for the ark. So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of the units of thousands went to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord up from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. And David was clothed in a robe of linen, fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark, and the singers, and Kenaniah, who was in charge of the singing of all the choirs. And all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of ram's horns and trumpets, and of cymbals, and the playing of the lyres and the harps. Now, the reason I, I want you to see this one is because this is another occasion where the seven trumpets were being used. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, trumpets were used for a variety of purposes. One, they were used to warn. You know, if you've got the, uh, the watchman on the walls, they would sound a trumpet. They would sound an alarm to let people know an opposing enemy nation or kingdom or uh, army, rather, was approaching. Used to warn. Trumpets were also used to rally, sometimes rally the, the nation, sometimes announce the presence of a coming dignitary in order to rally the people 
to the presence of that coming dignitary or a coming king or, or a, a, an envoy of another nation that, that was uh, being honored and was being received was to rally people for a special occasion. Also, trumpets were used to declare victory. Now, here's what's crazy. We're looking at a couple of accounts here. All of those reasons for the use of trumpets are accurate components of why these trumpets are in the book of Revelation. All of them. To usher in the victory, to usher in a coming dignitary, to rally the people, to, to declare the victory, to declare judgment, to warn of the judgments that are coming. All of these are apt pictures of the use of trumpets. I'm just giving you a couple of uh, passages here using specifically not just trumpets, but seven trumpets. Okay? And I, I just want to go back to that David account real quick, the one in uh, 1 Chronicles 15. The end of this, just so we can kind of picture what's happening here, this is ushering in the house of prayer age in Israel. This is ushering in an age of the house of prayer. When David and his guys with the seven trumpets, they blow them and they usher in the, the setting of the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem, that wasn't just so they could have the glory box in Jerusalem. It was actually set up in a tent that David had dedicated to 24-7 prayer and worship, specifically that worship atmosphere. This was ushering in the house of prayer in a, uh, for a new age in Israel's history. And so these seven trumpets were, were a, a commencing. They were a, a, you know, a, an announcement of a new age, a new era in Israel's uh, history related to the house of prayer, related to the night and day prayer and worship ministry. Now, as we're going to look here at the account of the seven trumpets in the book of Revelation... We're going to see these same themes again. We're going to see victory over darkness. We're going to see the beginning of a new worship order, a new age being ushered in again related to a worship order. We're going to see the coming of a king, the, the announcing and the, the declaration of a new and coming king. I mean, this is a powerful reality. These trumpet judgments actually usher in the Messiah. These I mean, think about that concept of a king coming into a city and the trumpets are being sounded. You know, everybody's excited. There's a, there's a rally and it's announcing the coming king. That's part of what trumpets do. These trumpets are going to do that. And at the last trumpet, Jesus Christ comes back to the planet. That's what happens at the last trumpet. So it's right for us to be seeing these Old Testament shadows because they're actually very helpful in, in helping us to understand what is going on in the book of Revelation. All right, preparing to sound the seven trumpets. I want to give you here a surprising theme that's actually, uh, I mean, when you look at the details, it's actually a pretty established theme in the book of Revelation. And that is not just that these seven trumpets are going to be sounded, but that there's a lot of a forethought that goes into these trumpets being sounded. There's a lot of preparation. There's a lot of intentionality. And the book of Revelation speaks to these things. This is actually a major theme, the, the theme of preparing to sound the trumpets. So first, let's start here, letter A, uh, bottom of page two, top of page three. The angels are given the trumpets. If you guys don't know the verse there, it's Revelation 8, 2. I saw the seven angels who stand before God. These seven angels. 
These are the major players, the major angels in, in heaven, the archangels. These seven angels that stand before God, they've never been given these trumpets before, not for this purpose. Probably never given these trumpets before ever. Because I think these trumpets are just as special as the account that they're, uh, they're related to. There is nothing like the blowing of these trumpets in the history of creation. So I think these trumpets are unique. I don't think they've ever been blown before. It's my personal opinion. I think they're sitting on a shelf in heaven with a date next to them that only God can read. That is a, a time frame that is a very specific moment. These trumpets sound a very specific sound and accomplish a very specific purpose. They've never been blown before. Here we have, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. These seven trumpets are going to be the end time judgments that unfold in the book of Revelation chapter 8 and 9, and then also a little bit in chapter 11. Now, these angels that are given these trumpets, it's interesting because they've already been preparing even before this moment. They're given the, the trumpets, but before that they've been preparing because you remember at least four of these seven angels we saw back in Revelation chapter 7 when we were looking at the period of time between the seals and the trumpets. I'm going to read that passage one more time, Revelation 7, 1 through 3. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or the sea or any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he called out in a loud voice to these four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. When you go and you look at the details of what do the first four trumpets do, when these first angels have these first four trumpets in the book of Revelation chapter 8, what is it that they impact? They impact the land, the sea, and the trees. That's what they're impacting. These angels, the first four trumpet angels, we find them here in chapter 7, the passage I just read, being told, you're about to be, you have been given authority to harm the land and the trees and the sea. You've been given authority, but don't do it yet. Wait. There's preparation that needs to be made. There's a, there's a perfect timing. We need to make sure that the saints have been sealed before you go and release those. Because if you went and released those before the saints are sealed, they'd get hit with all those judgments. All the more proof that the saints will be here. Because they're told, do not release these judgments until the saints have been sealed. Now that the saints are sealed, go ahead. You just go ahead and release them judgments. It'll be just fine now. So these first four angels, there's already been a point of preparation. But then it says this, Revelation 8, 6. This is now uh, Revelation 8, 2. We read a moment ago. These seven angels, they were given these seven trumpets. But after they're given them, then it says this in Revelation 8, 6, a couple verses later. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. What does it even look like? What is it? An angel's prep work to do anything is intriguing to me. I mean, an angel's prep work to eat, to go, to come, to stay, to do they sleep? What, what do angels do? And whatever they do, it's fascinating if they're preparing to do it. They're, they're filing their nails. What are these angels doing? They're preparing. I think they're actually preparing to blow trumpets, like doing maybe those exercises, you know, the blowfish exercise. You know, where you got to get your cheeks ready to blow. 
These angels are preparing to blow these trumpets. They're preparing. So they've got them in their hands, but they're not sounding them yet. They're preparing them. Maybe you, you know, refining or, or whatever, making any final last minute adjustments to your trumpet. I don't know anything about anything, but I'm imagining that whatever you do to these trumpets, there's, there's some preparing that can be done. They're preparing. It's, it's all the more that this is not haphazard. This cannot go the wrong way. This has to happen according to divine order, divine timing, divine uh, uh, sounding, maybe even divine volume of the sounding of these trumpets, okay? And I just want us to understand, trumpets, it's, it's not, you know, they gave a loud call. They're sounding a trumpet. There is one purpose for blowing a ram's horn. One, people hear it. That's the purpose. There's a bunch of subsequent, but nothing matters if they don't hear it. How will anyone prepare if they do not hear the sound of the call? These trumpets are to be heard. So I believe wholeheartedly that these trumpets will be sounded in such a way that people on the earth will hear them. Otherwise, why sound them? Why have them? Why not just have the angel go, it's judgment time, and then the judgments happen. Why sound a trumpet? Trumpets are to be heard. And I believe that part of this preparing to sound them is related even to that amplification and the perfect you know, place and time. I believe it matters where these trumpets are sounded. That it's not like it just, you can just sound at any old place. Certain places, certain times, maybe certain heights in the atmosphere. There's a lot about this preparation thing. And so these trumpets are being prepared to be sounded. Next, part of the reason that they must wait, it's not just... Sound the trumpets whenever. They've been told multiple times. There's, there's a timing. There's an order. Part of the reason for that, Jesus had to wait to open the seals. Jesus was not allowed to open those seals willy-nilly or whenever he wanted. Those seals were actually related. If you can remember back in our study, the sealed judgments being released was related to the Revelation 5 bowls in heaven being filled. The bowls in heaven which are filled with the incense of the saints, the prayers of the saints. The bowls have to be full. Intercession has to have been full from the prayer movement in the earth, from the church in the earth interceding before the seals could be released. That's part of the timing of all of it. Similarly, we see during the seal judgments, if you can remember our series or our study on the seals, the preparation that happens in the fifth, sixth, and seventh seals is preparing the church in a profound way. I believe that part of the reason these angels have to wait is because the church is being prepared during the fifth, sixth, and seventh seals in a profound way in order to have the authority that we see happening in a transfer of authority in Revelation uh, chapter 8, the beginning of it, related to the seventh seal. There's a transference of power and authority being given to the church so that the church can actually partner in a new way with heaven in releasing those trumpets, in praying for their release. There's a divine partnership back and forth in the book of Revelation between the judgments of God and intercession. Intercession and the judgments of God. The rejoicing of the saints, the singing of the saints, and the judgments. The book of Revelation is a, is a storyline of the relationship between the praying church on the earth and the purposes of God in heaven being released on the earth in response to the prayers of the saints. This is another one of those key moments. So they have to wait. I put on uh, part E here, bottom of page three. 
destined to release a new sound. These are new judgments. While there are pictures in the Old Testament, while there are partial fulfillments elsewhere in the Word, these things are unlike anything that's ever happened before. What's going to be released in the trumpet judgments is unprecedented. Furthermore, these judgments, the sounding of these trumpets is destined. It's coming. It's promised. It's for sure. It's certain. The judgments of the book of Revelation, they're not just judgments. They're trumpet judgments. These are trumpet judgments that are going to come by the sounding of these trumpets. They are certain. They are destined. They are, they are absolute. They are promised. And they are coming. These are, this is a very interesting thing to know that when certain trumpets are sounded, certain cataclysmic events will occur. And until those trumpets are sounded, those events won't occur. And those events can't occur until those trumpets are sounded. These things are tied, you know, inextricably connected. The judgments and the trumpets that are connected to them. Trumpet one equals this. Two equals that. This is all part of the preparation. This is all part of repaying the earth. The trumpet judgments... Even the, uh, the verse in uh, chapter 7 that we just read about, hey, angels, let's wait till all the saints are sealed before you start blowing those trumpets. Because when you start blowing those trumpets, it's going to equal bad news for everybody that doesn't have a seal on their head. All right? So don't do it. Part of what that is promising is the flip-flop. If you don't have a seal, you're in double trouble. you got problems. And that's a significant part of the message is God bringing repayment on the earth. Look at this verse in Isaiah 24. This verse, I believe, gives a very clear, in a, in a sentence or two, very clear description of what is going on in the mindset of heaven, in the reality of the end time unfolding of the storyline related to the trumpet judgments. Here it is. The earth is defiled by its people. That's the problem. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. There will never have been a time in human history where this will have been so true. As in the last days, the generation that the Lord's going to return, the most wicked generation that has ever been, that is the epitome of have violated every statute, every law, every purpose of God. They have been wicked in every way. Therefore, that's a scary therefore, Therefore, because of their wickedness, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Therefore, earth's inhabitants are burned up and very few are left. Even that specific burned up, that's a significant part of the, the trumpet judgments, the burning up part. It's a very interesting commentary on what's going on with the trumpets. The trumpets are part of the retribution, the repayment of the earth. The earth, the people of the earth must bear their guilt. The earth's inhabitants must receive the due penalty for their perversion. That's what's happening in the trumpets. It's really intense. Well, we won't look at uh, so much time on this because we'll study it more in the coming weeks, but... One of the uh, connection points here on what's going on with these trumpets is a third of the earth, that's a significant devastation. There's nothing like that that's ever happened before. A third of the earth is the main focal point. It's used 12 times in uh, chapters uh, 8 and 9 related to the trumpet judgments. That term, a third of the earth. A third of the earth? 
These trumpet judgments are going to touch the most territory that has ever happened in any event ever. And it's going to happen consistently, event after event after event. A third, a third, a third of this, a third of that. There's never been a third since the flood. There's never been anything like this. That that much of the human race, that much of the topography of the earth has been impacted by anything. I'm talking about the worst war never touched a third of the earth. Not, no. The worst hurricane, the worst, you pick it, never touched a third. But the trumpet judgments are consistently third, third, third of the earth. It's a significant increase in the devastation. When you look at what was occurring during the seals, uh, the seals judgments that we saw, it is by no comparison to what is happening now in the trumpet judgments. I mean, you are talking about a major uptick. There is so much worse occurring in the trumpets. So I'm going to give you just as a kind of a point of uh, reference, I'm going to give you just a, one little sentence on each of these trumpets so you can start to familiarize yourself with them if they're new ideas to you. The first trumpet is an outpouring of hail, and fire and blood that burns. What a gross, crazy combination. Hail, fire, and blood that's responsible to burn up a third of the earth's vegetation and so destroy its food supply. Not all of its food supply, but a significant food supply. Can you imagine if a third of the earth's vegetation, a third of the earth's crops, a third of the earth's fruit trees, a third of the earth's you know, vines all got burnt up, potato plants? You got a third of that burnt up, you got a real problem. Because the earth is increasing in human population, but it's going to be massively decreasing in capacity for food and vegetation. Big deal. Second trumpet, the second judgment, something like a huge burning mountain is thrown to the earth, and it destroys a third of the earth's seas and ships, and it also destroys the food supply of the water, of the ocean. Yes, the water turns to blood, but... Honestly, the impact of the water turning to blood means all the fish die. But people eat fish, plus, and they can't eat that anymore. So it's actually an attack once again on the food supply. It's going to be a really bad deal. Third trumpet, we see a blazing star thrown into the sea. This mass that comes from the heavens causes one-third of the earth's uh, fresh water supply to become uh, uh, poisoned. So that shouldn't have said sea. I don't think it says into the sea. Third, it says uh, third angel, trumpet, great star blazing, great torch. You fell on the earth's rivers and, and springs of water, not on the sea. So that was a misquote there. It falls on the fresh water. Well, if you fall on a third of the fresh water, a third of the rivers, a third of the trout, a third of the drinking water from all the freshwater streams and, and fountains and lakes and stuff, that's going to cause a serious problem for the water supply. I don't know if you knew this or not, you got a lot of water in you. You're mostly water. So if a third of the drinking water on the planet just got poisoned, you got a problem. Plus everything that's in that poisoned water probably dies. So now you've got even more food supply issues. Fourth trumpet. In the fourth trumpet, one third of the sun and moon and stars go dark, which will darken one third of the earth's light and natural ener uh, energy supply. So the whole thought process of solar this and solar that, the, the, uh, the, the imbalances that that's going to cause, the effect that that's going to have on tides and everything else. It's going to be dramatic. 
Fifth trumpet. At the sounding of the fifth trumpet, this is where it gets crazy, the abysses opened up, and a plague of demonic locusts starts stinging people. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. They attack men, and they cause extreme agony, but not death for five months. That's followed by the abyss, which is still open for the sixth trumpet, releasing another demonic army, but this one marches out 200 million strong, and it's not locusts, it's demonic horsemen. That is terrifying. And they kill one-third of the remaining human population. That is so intense. The seventh trumpet is the rapture of the church, the return of Jesus, the coming procession where Jesus and his angels and all the resurrected saints with him march out to destroy the nations that oppose him in order to be able to set the Jewish captives free and establish Jesus on the throne in Jerusalem. That's a, that's a really big theme. We're going to spend a good portion of time on that later. I just wanted you to see, when we say the seven trumpets, seven trumpets, what are they? That's what they are. And you can go find those. I gave you the verses, but you can go find those mostly in Revelation uh, 8 and 9. All right, well, let's talk about some of the themes that we see in this series because there are some significant themes. Having looked briefly at those seven trumpets, let's talk about some themes. One, things start getting hurled to the earth. Hurled stuff. I don't like hurling. We got the first trumpet, hurled. Second trumpet, thrown. Third trumpet, fell from the sky. Fourth trumpet, was struck. I mean, these mighty, hurling, judgment, throwing concepts. We've never had anything like this ever before. And we're going to enter a season of time where it's going to be normal for angels to be hurling stuff. I mean, this is a really interesting subject because we've never experienced it before. We've never once experienced something from God's perspective and hand, if you will, being hurled to the planet. It happened. There's a season of time where that's one of the themes. Next, the demonic realm being opened up in a way we have never seen before. Smoke, demon locusts, demon-mounted troops, demon horses with heads like lions. The demonic realm opened up on the earth in a way that we've never seen. It's literal. There are literal demons. There's a literal hell. That literal hell is going to be opened, and literal stuff from it is going to literally come out. This is going to be so intense. That's never happened before. We don't have any frame of reference. we got no grid. What the heck does that look like on a Tuesday? We've never had a Tuesday like this. This is a very unusual thing. It's one of the themes found in the trumpet judgments. Another theme angelic activity greatly increased. We've never had seven angels given trumpet judgments before for the earth. We've never seen that. We never ever had angels throwing hail onto the earth or throwing a mountain-like mass into the earth or throwing a great star to the earth. We've never seen that. We've never seen angels touching the cosmos so that darkness comes on the earth. We're not used to that. We don't know what that is. We haven't seen the release of demonic hordes from hell. That an angel's the one doing it? Oh my gosh, that's even worse. Like, it, it, I don't know if it's scarier to think they escaped or scarier to know an angel came and opened the door. But an angel comes and opens the door. 
And then stuff comes out. Angels accompanying Jesus at his return. We're talking about unprecedented supernatural events here, folks. When we enter into the trumpet judgments, unprecedented supernatural events. I mean almost every aspect of every phrase of every piece. Unprecedented, supernatural, real time, happening. Not philosophical, theoretical, you know, mythical, real. Unprecedented supernatural judgments occurring. It's intense. Punishment for the martyrs. Not on the martyrs, but for the martyrs' death. There is great punishment coming. The first five trumpets, they're mostly not about death. There will be some die. The first five trumpets are mostly about punishment. They're mostly about pain. Even to the point where the fifth trumpet, the demon locusts are told you can only hurt them really bad and make them want to die, but they can't actually die, no killing, for five months. Ready, go. That's intense. And that speaks of punishment. I mean, that is, that is intense. That's back to that verse we read in Isaiah about the wicked. No, they can't just die. The wicked must bear the guilt of their iniquity. They must bear it. They've got to stay awake and alive long enough to get punished. This is so intense. Most significant wave of death since the flood then follows right after. 200 million demonic horsemen are charged and said, you not only have power, you now are going to go out and you're going to be given authority. You're going to be successful. You're going to kill one-third of the human population in a very short period of time. Maybe months. Maybe it's not even that long. We're not talking about over the course of 20 years. We're talking about over the course of 20 days, 20 weeks. I mean, it, some short period of time. <laughs> a third of mankind. We've never seen anything like that before. We have no grid for something like that. Ultimate redemption on the front, uh, final end of this. It's so crazy that these judgments, as intense as they are, they end with Jesus coming back at the final trumpet. The last trumpet and Jesus comes. The seventh trumpet and Jesus is there. The kingdom of God breaking in on the earth. So it's a story of judgment and redemption. It's just so powerful. Last point that I'll give you, and then we'll break up into groups, is... The three woes. It's really interesting. <clears throat> this series talks about the three woes. It calls them, they're like a thing. It's like, oh, you know the three woes in Revelation? Not really. Well, the angel wants you to because there are these things called the three woes. It just so happens, it's very interesting, the three woes are the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpets. So it's not different judgments. It's not like you got the seven trumpets and then you also have three woes. These three woes are the final uh, three, seri uh, three trumpets. And the reason that they're titled that is because they're so much worse for mankind than the first uh, few were. These last three uh, trumpets are called the three woes. And I'll just give you one of the most primary connection points between these three. The final Call it the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet, which equals, do the math with me, the first, second, and third woe. The fifth trumpet is called the first woe. The second trumpet is called, I'm sorry, the sixth trumpet is called the second 
woe. And the seventh trumpet is called the third woe. Let me tell you what makes these really interesting and connected. They're all about indestructible armies. Two of them from hell, one from heaven. Indestructible. Demon locusts from hell. You can't kill a demon locust from hell. You can't kill a demon horseman from hell. It was from hell. It was already dead. Alive, dead demon. Furthermore, the last trumpet, uh, the last trumpet and the last army is a resurrected army of saints along with indestructible angels. So it's not like people are going to be able to throw rocks at angels and go, you mean, leave me alone. You're talking about three indestructible armies of supernatural forces. These are going to ravish the earth. These three armies. The locust army, the horseman army, and the army of Christ that comes at the seventh trumpet. This is going to be crazy. They're called the three woes of Revelation. The final three trumpets. Okay, this is a great question. So the, the short version of the question is, during the trumpet judgments, what does ministry look like for the redeemed? They love the Lord in the midst of that. They're sealed, so they're not being hit by those judgments. But those judgments are happening around them. I think the forerunner ministry will never have been as strong in the history of the earth as it is during the very, very short window of the trumpets. Because the intensity of the trumpets will be so severe. But there'll still be people getting saved. Not those that have taken the mark of the beast. They're done for. But there will be people that still have not given their lives to Jesus and they did not take the mark of the beast during that period of time. Now, it's not a huge number, but there will be those that are in that camp. And actually, I believe what we're going to see during that period of time is you're going to see, a, uh, I, I believe, this is my uh, uh, opinion, I believe we're going to see like we saw in the book of Acts. You're going to have a camp of people that hates the church. We see that in the book of Acts a group of people that hated the church and were coming against the church. There's going to be that contingency for sure. Then there's also going to be the church. Then there's going to be those that fearfully associate with the church. They've not given their lives to Jesus yet. But they're going to know those people on the Jesus side, something about them is right. <laughs> and, and everything else in this world has gone to hell in a handbasket. So we're not going to go with them. So I think there's going to be a significant number of people that are going to be fearfully associating with the church. And so uh, that will be the greatest ministry ever because the foreigner message will never have been as real, will never have been as real-time, obvious, and predictable because all you'll have to do if you uh, are fuzzy on your judgments is open your book, your book of Revelation, and go, well, guys, let me tell you what's coming next. A giant on fire mountain? No! I mean, people are going to freak out and they're going to give their lives to Jesus. And so the role of the forerunners during the brief window of the trumpets, I believe will be the clearest forerunner ministry in, in, its, in its most clearly seen, valued, and, uh, and uh, um, valued. Yeah, valued is just the word I want. Valued ministry. The valued ministry of the forerunner uh, will never have been that strong in human history. Now, again, that's not the majority of the earth, but there will be those that the Lord is wanting to draw in. And, uh, and as we talked before, the whole thought process of the mark of the beast system 
we need to remember this. If actually, so there's 8 billion people on the earth now, half of them die in the judgments, you know, well, but a bunch of those are going to be those that take the mark of the beast. I'm trying to give you a time frame. If six of those 8 billion or five of those 8 billion wind up taking the mark of the beast, they're not all taking that mark day one of the great tribulation. They're going to be taking it over time. It's going to take time. Now, I think a bunch of them will early and a bunch in the coming weeks and months, but not everyone who's going to take the mark of the beast will even have done that by necessarily trumpet one or two or three. There's going to be a mark of the beast system that is enacted for three and a half years, and I'm assuming people will still be taking the mark of the beast all the way up until the end of the three and a half year period of time. And so that means there's people that might take it tomorrow. Let's go tell them about Jesus. And so there's going to be that, that reality uh, in the midst. Great question. I think that's a, an awesome question to start to picture the storyline and how all that's going to unfold. So that was, that was great. Yeah, so it says, uh, it says in Revelation uh, 9, verse 2, when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke of a gigantic furnace. So the opening of the abyss is a literal reality. So you've got the door of hell or the gate of hell opened up and it must be a big gate. I mean, you're not talking about a, you know, a six foot tall by, you know, three foot wide door like we're used to. This must be a really big hole that's opened up because it says that smoke comes out of it like the hell smoke. Smoke's, hell's filled with smoke. The smoke of hell comes out. And it fills the sky like that of a gigantic furnace. So the question that Luke had is, uh, is that a, like, where does that happen? Or, or, you know, does that happen in multiple places? I don't think it happens in multiple places. I think it happens in one place because that's the way the passage reads. Where is that place? As best as I can tell from this passage, it doesn't tell us. One thing that we can know for sure that may or may not be related, it seems reasonable to me that it is related, but it may not be related. One thing that we can know is during the millennial period, the lake of fire is visible on the earth and is visible from heaven on the earth. And we're told exactly where it is, Jordan, the modern day nation of Jordan, the land of Eden. And so Edom is going to be the land of the lake of fire, if you will. And it's, that's in Isaiah. We've got a couple passages in Revelation that point to that. But this isn't talking about the lake of fire. This is talking about the abyss. So is that the same geographic location? It doesn't say that it is. But it seems reasonable to me that it will be because that's over in the Middle East. The Middle East, this whole thing is Jerusalem-centric. We know that the abyss doesn't open up in Jerusalem because we've got enough details about what's happening in Jerusalem and parts of Israel during this period of time. But it needs to be close enough that Jerusalem would be greatly impacted by the giant furnace of smoke you know rising up in the air so it seems to me somewhere in the middle east makes sense and seems reasonable to me that it might be in relationship even to that uh isaiah i think it's isaiah 34 that talks about the lake of fire on the earth visible in the land of edom and so that seems reasonable to me but i don't know that it doesn't say uh, where this gate is so uh i don't know all i know is where if wherever it is if you get revelation don't build your house there because, man, is that going to thing open up? It's going to be a real problem. Okay? Um, yeah, unrelated. I don't know. Just came to mind. Maybe it has no connection. Maybe it has no connection at all. The ground in Korah, the Korah Rebellion, swallowing up one of those tribes and how that relates to all this. Maybe unrelated entirely, but just throw that out there as an idea. Absolutely. But I'll repeat the question. 
So the question is, uh, the, the end of the Gospel of Mark uh, refers to, um, you'll not be harmed by any deadly poison, you'll pick up uh, serpents, and uh, they will not harm you. There's another p- couple of passages, one of them's in Psalm 91, actually, that says you will tread on the lion and the cobra. And those are two components of what the head and the tail look like of these demon hordes that are coming up out of the abyss in Revelation chapter uh, 9. And so the question is, are these related? Is, is that prophecy at the end of Mark talking about you'll be, you know, you'll drink poison and you won't be harmed? It's like, sure, give me the poison water. I'm going to take a big old drink. Uh, yes. Uh, you'll, you'll, you know, tread on the lion and the cobra. You'll trample the serpent. You'll trample, you know, the, uh, the, the great serpent, as well as you'll pick up snakes and they will not harm you. They'll bite you and, and their poison won't, you know, touch you. Is that related to this? It's absolutely related, but it's not limited to. Uh, <clears throat> those uh, prophecies have a relationship even in this hour. Um, but I think their fullness, or rather its fullness, prophecy at the end of Mark's gospel, I believe its fullness absolutely is in its fullness pointing to what is going to be occurring related to ministry, the question we, we talked about a minute ago, in the midst of the great tribulation, in the midst of the trumpet judgments, there's going to be forerunners walking around drinking poison water and, and doing crazy things with, you know, demons and everything else. So uh, it's going to be intense. Uh, great question. So related to the thirds and how those judgments are going to impact, is that talking about one-third, like, let's say, Eurasia, would be one-third of all the dirt, so this judgment only hits Eurasia because then the other two-thirds of dirt wouldn't get touched. Or is it like a little here, a little here, a little here, a little here, boom, one-third. Uh, I think there's a couple of uh, things that give us um, uh, some, some insight on that. Um, I definitely think that these one-thirds are more focused at little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, all the, the total sum equaling a third. And the reason is the focus on the whole earth, the focus on the earth. The, and even a couple of them, I'm thinking about the one where the, the star goes off in the sky. I think it's the third. Yeah. The third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and springs of water. This to me sounds almost like some sort of like Imagine, I don't know that it's this way, but this is kind of how I picture it. Imagine we know what a nuke does, okay, on planet Earth with a real bomb that was made. Imagine if there was something like that out in outer space already, but when it exploded, it didn't explode, you know, a a nuclear, you know, reaction or whatever. Instead, it exploded particles of dust that get into the atmosphere, and somehow get circulated around the earth and land in all the in these various springs of water and, and this kind of thing and the wind currents and such. Here's the thing: if these judgments only touch that third of the earth over there, then this third of the earth over here is happy and laughing. And that is not the picture we see in the book of Revelation. We see the earth being punished, and it's like, oh well, maybe they're happy and laughing, but the next one hits them. It could be. I don't think so. I think these judgments are going to have a way to touch in, in, uh, in total one-third of the rivers, one-third of the ocean, one-third of the land. But I don't think it's necessarily going to be geographically uh, limited to 
you know, this judgment hit this part of the earth and the rest of the earth was completely protected from the impact of that judgment. I think these judgments are going to hit the earth and cause the devastation to the whole of mankind, which is being punished uh, in these judgments. So great question. And I guess we'll see when we get there. Uh, but we will look at uh, these judgments more specifically, each of them, uh, as we uh, go on. So uh, great questions. You guys are paying attention. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.